The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. It was once said to me that you can tell a lot about a person by what they read. So when I first heard this, I was like, I don't read at all. Like, I'll imagine what this person was, was thinking of me at this time, but um, it stuck with me because I grew up with BD reversal. I had a mild form of dyslexia, so I didn't like to read. I didn't want to read, but there were certain things that would catch my attention. And if they had a catchy title or someone recommended to me, I would read it. I have read more in the past year than I did in my entire life, all because of what that person said to me, and it, it made me change my view on reading. One of the articles that I came across uh, recently was titled, The Hottest Thing in Churches Today. And surprisingly enough, it was not the worship music, nor was it the automatic coffee maker that brews the perfect cup of coffee every single time. It wasn't even the technological advancements that we have, such as holy holograms. That's pretty much where they project the pastor on stage and he preaches to you. According to a study by Gallup, it's preaching, specifically Bible-based preaching. Christianity Today says, despite a new wave of contemporary church buzzwords like relational, relevant, and intentional, people who show up on Sundays are looking for the same thing that has long anchored most services, preaching centered on the Bible. When I read this, I'm like, yes! And, and for a lot of you, this has come to no surprise. Because the God's word tells us that he who is of God hears God's word. So the Christian community should want nothing more than the word of God. But there are some that don't see what the big deal is. But it's the same type of thinking that can lead to eternal separation from God. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on to say, how then can they call on him whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? Now, most people will look at this passage and say, okay, that's an easy formula. Preach so the hearer might believe and then call on the name of God. But what happens when you preach to your friend who is an unbeliever and they don't call on God? Or what happens when you're on vacation and you visit a different church and after the message you feel like you left a self-help seminar rather than a word from God? Or how about this one? You finally built up the courage to invite your friend or your neighbor or someone to church to hear some good preaching only to show up and find out there's a guest speaker. <laughs> Listen, I have been there. I've been in these same situations. And there were some questions that would, that would just run through my mind as all this was happening. You know, how do I know when God's word is being preached? How do I know that the preacher or guest speaker is not feeding me false teaching? How do I know that even the word that I'm preaching to others, or when someone's preaching to me, that it's even true in the beginning? Growing up, I was always uh, told to ask myself one question. What does the word say? So I invite you to go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
Today I will be speaking on preaching the word, its importance, and some indicators of knowing when the word is being preached. Now, as you find your place in the text, I want you to know that I'm not just going to stand up here and talk at you. My goal is to feed you with the knowledge that I have already partaken of. So, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll be in verses 1 through 5. It says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves a teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Would you pray with me? Father, as we go deeper into your word, we pray that it goes forth, Lord. Your word says it will not return back to you void. Father, I pray that you pierce the hearts of the hearers. Father, I pray that you use me as a vessel for your will. Lord, I thank you, and I glorify your holy and righteous name. Amen. So before I get into uh, the book of Second, before I get into this verse, I want to give you a little context. Um, so the book of Second Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who was his young son in the faith. Now, at times, Paul would send Timothy to different churches to help out or to be in his stead when Paul wasn't there. This particular time, Paul told Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was one of the largest cities in the Greek and Roman Empire at the time. And interestingly enough, we have more information about the church in Ephesus than any other church in the New Testament. Most of the events in Acts 18 through 20 are surrounded in Ephesus. Paul wrote directly to the church, which is the book of Ephesians, and along with two letters to Timothy about them. And the first seven letters of Revelation was about the church in Ephesus. If anything, all this focus on Ephesus should tell you that they had a lot of issues that constantly need to be addressed. Just to name a few, they uh, faced some issues with false apostles. Revelation 2, 2, and at some point began to lose the love of their, their, their first love, which was Christ. Revelation 2, 4, 1 Timothy 1, 5. They had regular struggles with false teachings and false doctrines. 1 Timothy 1, 3, 1 Timothy 4, 1, 1 Timothy 4, 7, 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21, 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 23, like I said, regular struggles with false doctrine. And they also had a number of pastoral issues to face, one of which was a young widow who didn't have enough to do and was very prone to false doctrine. 1 Timothy 5, 13 and 2 Timothy 3, 6 through 7. Now this was Ephesus, one of the largest cities, and, and they had their church there. They faced all these problems. But then when you look at them, and then you look at the church of today, I'm not too convinced that much has changed. You know, we still struggle with false teachers. We still tend to forget our first love, which is Christ. And we constantly struggle with false doctrines, even when we don't even know it. 
But thankfully, God has left us the means to overcome all of this, which leads me into my big truth. The only way to preach the word effectively and receive it accurately is to know it personally. Let me say it again. The only way to preach the word effectively and receive it accurately is to know it personally. Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Although Paul wasn't in Ephesus at this time, he burdened Timothy with the task of taking care of this church. But before he burdens Timothy, he wants to to remind him of Christ's second coming. The Bible tells us that we all are going to stand before God and give an account for the things done in this body. So Paul wants to make Timothy mindful of this before he gives him these next five imperatives, which were to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And then all of this is to be done with great patience and instruction. So Timothy's first obligation was to preach the word. Paul didn't tell Timothy to preach anything else, not himself, but just the word. And this is so crucial because not everyone you listen to or people that stand up on stage or even open up a Bible, for that matter, preaches the word. Paul knew that we need to preach God's word. Now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of people with pure intentions on preaching God's word everywhere. But if the focus is more on funny stories or life experiences that they think will change your life, they're most likely preaching self. Paul says, preach the word, which brings me to my first point. All preaching should be focused on the word. Shouldn't be focused on these funny stories or anything else like that. If we are true to God's word, the focus should be on God's word when we preach. Now, Paul also tells Timothy to always be ready. Now, in this era, they had what were called heralds, and the heralds were like official messengers, and they would make different proclamations. They would make proclamations about um, ceremonies or tournaments or new policies or anything else like that. Now, the only thing with the heralds is they only were able to do this during a certain season, but Paul tells Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. Those in-season moments would be when it's convenient, when it's favorable, when people want to hear it, when there's no obstructions or hindrances or or anything to get in the way. And the out-of-seasons would be just the opposite. Paul is telling Timothy, you need to preach the word when it's comfortable. You need to preach the word when it's uncomfortable. You need to preach the word when the barriers are up. You need to preach the word when the barriers are down. The word needs to be preached when it's easy and when it's hard. The word needs to be preached when you see fruit from your labor, and the word needs to be preached when you don't see any fruit at all. Paul's telling Timothy, the word always needs to be preached. Listen, some people have great intentions for something, and they will do whatever they can to accomplish, pursue, and promote whatever that is. The same should be done with preaching God's word. Now, the next three uh, commands that Paul gives Timothy, he tells him to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, the first two are negative, and then the last is uh, a positive. Reproving, Timothy was to correct the misbehavior or the false doctrines of these believers 
and get them to understand what it truly means to follow Christ. And then when he was rebuking them, he was, it, was, it was more of a heart change. They were supposed to come to a state of repentance. And then after that happens, that's when Timothy was able to exhort them or encourage them into the faith. So he was to reprove and rebuke and then walk alongside of them in love and encourage them into the faith. Now, the, the thing that I find most interesting about this is right before Paul gives this charge, he tells Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So when Timothy would to preach the word, it would be like a mirror to the hearers so that God's word reproves, it corrects that misbehavior. God's word rebukes. It causes us to come into a state of repentance. And then God's word exhorts us and encourages us to remain faithful. But you see, Paul also tells Timothy to do all this with great patience and instruction. There is no point for us to go off and proclaim Jesus if we can't be patient with people. They're not going to get it as fast as we did. They're not. Sometimes it takes a, a, a while for someone to understand the concept that they are loved, that Christ died for them. But if we don't take the time to instruct them the way the Bible commands, then it's all for nothing. So Paul says that, you know, this is supposed to be done with great patience and instruction. So when we are going off to those people and we're reproving, we're allowing the God's word to reprove and rebuke, and then we can also go alongside of them and encourage them in the faith. Now, Paul also tells Timothy that there's going to be great opposition. Paul is writing from prison. He understands that there's going to be people that's not going to want to hear what he has to say. There's going to be people that are shying away from his words because Paul says, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Paul, he, he prophesies that people will become intolerant to the flawless word of God. And they... They, he knew the importance of sound doctrine and how what we believe affects what we do. Because he says, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. Unfortunately, this sadly speaks of the consequences and gives a concise definition to heresy. To turn from truth, to myth, which brings me to my next point. God's word is truth. Please don't let the simplicity of this statement just blow past you. Because when I say God's word is truth, I mean all of it. And this is exactly what Paul was talking about. He, he, this is what Ephesus knew, and we know this today. The only difference is when, when we go into the word, and we see or we hear something that contradicts our own beliefs or what we believe to be true, that's when we start to shy away from it. That's when people go off and they find these teachers that will tell them what they want to hear rather than enduring the truth. God's word is truth. Listen to what uh, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living, active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the spirit and of, of the soul and the spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, my friends know that when they come to me and they ask my advice or my opinion, they're not going to get what Chuck thinks. Because my best advice can't interpret your thoughts. It, it, it won't know the intentions of your heart. My best advice won't so much as give you a paper cut. But with God's word, some people might need a tourniquet because it's full of hard truths. Things that we don't necessarily want to hear but are true. These are just some of the things that, that Jesus said. In Matthew 5, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Matthew 6, 14, if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive you. John 8, 24, you will die in your sins unless you believe I am he. You will die in your sins. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the father but through me. These are just some of the hard truths that people tend to shy away from. But when someone rejects God's truth, it isn't that they believe nothing. They believe anything. And they will look for those teachers that will simply aim to please rather than indoctrinate. But deliberately rejecting God's words automatically makes you susceptible to Satan's myths. Now, we shouldn't assume that Every teacher is scratching itching ears just because they're popular. But at the same time, we shouldn't assume that every popular teacher is faithful to God's word. This is why Paul goes on and tells Timothy, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, the word sober, we tend to just associate it with drinking. But Paul doesn't limit it to intoxication. He tells him to be stable, be unwavering, steadfast to the changeless word of God. And when Paul tells him to endure hardship, he understands. He is writing from prison for preaching the same word that he is telling Timothy to preach. So he understands that he's going to endure this hardship and that Timothy is going to suffer countless hardship and soon undergo daily pressure from the church. From his own people. But Paul tells him to endure the hardship. Listen, a painless ministry is a shallow and fruitless ministry. Because there's no such thing as a ministry that doesn't come with a cost. Even when we follow Christ, we are told that there's a cost to consider. Now, Paul also tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Now, the word evangelist is only used three times in the New Testament, and is always referred to as a specific office of ministry. But note, Paul did not tell Timothy to be an evangelist. He said, do the work of an evangelist. So what's the work of an evangelist? Simply, they were to help unbelievers become aware of their sinfulness and their lostness, and then proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, the work of an evangelist requires you to get out of your comfort zone. 
The work of evangelists requires you to fulfill the Great Commission. And most importantly, the work of evangelists requires you to know the word. It is impossible to give someone something that you just simply do not have. Which brings me to my last point. The word needs to be in you. We need to have it in us. We need to be in the word and study the word to be able to proclaim it. I love when I'm in the Bible and I'm just sitting in it. And I'm not talking about like when I wake up in the morning and I, and I read my verse of the day or I read my little devotion. I'm talking about when I really just sit in God's word. Like, like I feel full. And not, I feel that fool that it's like, oh, I just ate. I want to take a nap type of fool. But God's word, when he feeds us, he doesn't cause us to lay down or, or be lazy. God's word feeds us so that way we can feed others. Or as the apostle Paul would say, fulfill your ministry. Paul gives these negative attributes to Timothy of people who reject God's word and who shy away from these hard truths, but he also tells Timothy to be diligent against error. He tells him to fulfill his ministry. Now, I understand that we are not all called to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, or teachers. I understand. But we are all called to know Christ and to make him known. So, I'm going to give you my big truth again. The only way to preach the word effectively and receive it accurately is to know it personally. We, we have to dive deep into the word ourselves. We have to know this ourselves. So when, when people give you their perception of Jesus and they say this and they say that, Look it up in the Word. See if they're, if they're true. See if they're correctly preaching what God has already revealed about himself. Or when you go off to a different churches or have a guest speaker, don't just blindly take their word for it. We have, God has left us his word to double check and to, to accurately handle. So I encourage you guys to just Look it up for yourself. My mom, she always used to tell me growing up, you need to know that you know that you know that you know that is true. God's word lets us know that we know that we know that is true. But if you're not committed to spending time with God and his word, how would you know? If you're too busy to figure it out for yourself, how do you know that you're not getting false teaching? If you don't have the time to double check what you're listening to from another proclamation, how would you know? The world is full of false doctrines and false teachings, but we need to be vigilant. We need to be sober in all things. Do the work of an evangelist. Endure the hardship and fulfill our ministry by making Christ known, but we can only do that when we know him ourselves. So I encourage you guys to stay in the word, continue in God's word, because when Bible-based preaching isn't wanted, we would know as what it's needed. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. Lord, 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving your word for us, Lord. Thank you that it's true. And Father, there are some hard truths that penetrate our heart, that contradict some of our own desires. But Father, we know that it is your word that is true. Father, you are the standard. So Father, allow our, our souls and our spirits to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit as you speak truth into our lives. Father, I pray that you wipe schedules clean to be able to spend time with you. Father, I pray that you speak truth into each and every person's life. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.